electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the White House's voice on the economy, presidential advisor Larry Kudlow on the coronavirus and the bottom line. We're just doing our best to keep things afloat and bridge to the point when the economy can begin to recover. The first FDA-approved at-home coronavirus test, the CEO of the company that developed it on how it works and who gets it. We're currently providing that test to frontline healthcare workers and first responders that have symptoms. They can order the home kit from our website and then they can uh, mail it to our labs and within one to two days it'll tell them if they currently have the virus or not. Those stories plus COVID-19's global infection in the oil markets and Netflix's cure for shut-in consumers. It's Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Been watching the features. First up today on the podcast, oil prices not exactly partying like it's 1999. The international benchmark rent crude hitting a 20-year low. This follows U.S. prices plunging to an historic low this week. The price for a barrel of oil delivered in May hit negative numbers worth less than zero before the monthly contract closed yesterday at around $10 a barrel. Why so low? Fears of a supply glut and lack of storage for all the oil not being used during the coronavirus pandemic amid orders from governments around the world limiting personal travel. Add to that an overproduction of crude thanks to a price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia, and we're basically awash in oil that nobody needs. And the world's major oil-producing countries may be forced to limit production and limit it soon. In an international agreement just last week, 23 nations committed to hold back oil from the global markets, but beginning in May. This is CNBC contributor and oil market watcher John Kilduff on Squawk Box yesterday. The OPEC Plus cut, you know, there seems to be a complete lack of enthusiasm among the folks who got involved with that to actually cut this flotilla of crude oil that's coming our way, courtesy of Saudi Arabia, who I guess is just trying to put the final dagger in the heart of our guys in the Permian. That's all I can think of. Kilduff was telling us yesterday, remember, that this, in some ways, because I thought the, thought the same thing, that this must be the, for the, horrible for the Saudis and for everybody else. But he, he kind of painted this as the final death knell of the Saudis being able to punish the U.S. producers and the Canadian producers that have been doing it so cheap for, for the shale and from other places um, in, the, in the Permian Basin, that those were the, the real people who were going to be punished by this, that they'd get washed out, that the longer term players like the Saudis would be here to, when things recover and that this could mean um, higher oil prices and eventually that we would have uh, much more that we would owe OPEC because we'd lose the little producers. You'd no longer be able to turn the spigots back on and off. And that was a, kind of an interesting take because I thought the same thing, that for the Saudis, yeah. this would be awful. If, if in turn they're able to put more pressure on the U.S. producers and those producers go away, then maybe long term it's a win for them. Right. When it's or- but, you, you love but that's, talk, just, just, you, you love talking about yeah. uh, junk and, and uh, bankruptcies and w- w- the Fed is helping a lot of our producers out right how long does how long do they stay viable w- with I mean well look as, as long as the federal as long as the Federal Reserve is buying high yield debt uh, you know by the by the handful 
this can go on for, for, for a bit longer. But the only thing I was going to say in, in response, actually, to, to Becky's comment about John Kildoff's comment is, Kildoff, I believe, that's, that's still a short-term duration issue, meaning uh, John's view is that this is, you know, this goes on for a couple months and then, and then we're back. If it, if it extends out, mm-hmm. you actually really do have tremendous damage, I think, to Saudi. You have tremendous damage to Russia. You have tremendous damage. And it becomes a whole – this whole uh, health crisis becomes a financial crisis, becomes a geopolitical crisis. And to me, that's sort of mm-hmm. – I mean, I don't want to go too far down the domino line, but that's – I do think there are people talking and thinking about the implications of that. And I honestly think, to Andrew's point on that, that, that that's the bigger problem for every one of these businesses, not just in the oil patch, but that's the, the issue for restaurants, for retailers, for everybody, is how long can you hold out? If you figure, okay, we can do this for four weeks, for six weeks, for eight weeks, that's one thing. But if you are talking about uh, problems that exist beyond that, then that's kind of beyond what anybody can, can, can foretell. Right. Well, we're, it's Wednesday, and we're going to get a... I don't know what's going to happen on Friday. Georgia. No, Georgia. I saw Kemp on uh, oh, Georgia, Kemp. Georgia on Friday, Colorado yeah. on Monday. Sorry. Right. saw yep. Kemp on, on Friday on, uh, on a competing network. And I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't say he was defensive, but he, he, he you know, there, I find myself nodding at certain things he says. And then I find myself thinking a tattoo. Uh, it's just <laughs> like, you know, right. I, I just don't know. And you I saw don't know. Dr. Burks yesterday. I believe people in Atlanta would understand that if their cases are not going down, that they need to continue to do everything that we said, social distancing, washing your hands, wearing a mask in public. So if there's a way that people can social distance and do those things, then they can do those things. I don't know how, but people are very creative. But, but then I think of South Dakota and, and people being totally shut down. And I think, well, you know, I, so I don't know. I, I just don't know how. It's just when you think about having no money, having no money and having kids mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, I, I don't right. know, you know, and the money. So I don't, I don't know. It's a really, we're between a rock and a hard place. The FDA has granted emergency use authorization for the first at-home coronavirus test This is made by LabCorp, and that company also announcing this morning that it's expanding the ability of its antibody test for COVID-19. Joining us right now on the phone is LabCorp CEO Adam Schechter. Adam, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, This is very, very positive news. Tell us about it. Tell us about this test and how it works. Absolutely. Good morning, Andrew, Becky, and Joe, and thank you for having me here today. I also want to give a big thank you to all the people working in labs at LabCorp, but also labs around the country. I'm sure you're aware it's National Lab Week, and and I truly appreciate all that they're doing to help as many patients across the United States as they can. So there are two types of tests that LabCorp is performing for COVID-19, one that tells you if you have the virus, and another test that tells you if you have had the virus in the past. We're making strong progress on both of those. As you mentioned, Pixel by LabCorp is the first at-home test, and we're currently providing that test to frontline healthcare workers and first responders that have symptoms. They can order the home kit from our website, and then they can uh, mail it to our labs, and within one to two days, it'll tell them if they currently have the virus or not. And, and what is the, the accuracy of this test? There's been lots of different questions about, about A, how these tests are, are done. This is a blood test, correct? No, so Pixel by LabCorp is the uh, nasal swab test, as our other tests are that test if you have the virus. The blood test will be the serology test. 
in terms of both of the tests that we've done, we validated both extensively, and we feel that they are extremely accurate. In terms of the antibody test, one of the big questions about that test is knowing that you had it, whether you have real immunity. What are you finding right now? So it's still very early in the science of this virus, and we don't have several iterations and several seasons of the virus. So it's not exact in terms of what the uh, serology tests tell us for sure. But what we do know is if that somebody's had the virus and they show that they have the antibodies, that our tests can certainly detect those antibodies. What we don't know is a year from now is whether those antibodies will still be as meaningful as they are today. And in terms of the scale of this, how many of these tests are you able to produce, get to people, and, and process? So for the serology tests, those are blood tests, and we do a lot of blood tests every day at LabCorp. Uh, right now, we can do more than 50,000 a day, and by this time next month, we expect to do several hundreds of thousands a week. And we're going to have our service centers that are across the United States be able to do the serology test, the blood test, starting next Monday. And again, that's for patients that don't have symptoms, that do not currently have COVID-19, but that believe they've had it in the past. Hey, Adam, just on those serology tests, I mean, and that's really interesting because there are a lot of people who would love to see if they've been exposed to it so that they can feel confident going back to work, maybe sending their kids back to school on some of those issues. What would you need to be able to qualify? What, how do you meet the standards? Where do you get one of these tests? Because if you've never shown any symptoms, there's no way you're going to get a coronavirus test. Those have been too hard to come by. Yeah, so Becky, as I said, for the serology test, we'll be able to do several hundreds of thousands uh, a week starting this them? time next month. People will be able to go to their physicians, they'll be able to go to urgent care centers, uh, telemedicine, because they'll be able to put the orders in through our service centers that we have across the United States. And then people will be able to go to our service centers to have their blood taken. We send it to our labs and we get them the results in one to two days. You know, when we spoke with Bill Gates, he said that testing should be done in, in the order of people who should be most likely to have had it or who are most likely were exposed to some of these things. Do you share in that sort of viewpoint or do you think that this is just first come first served or yeah, that's what I don't understand. It's a lot of tests, but there are a lot of people who would love to get access to those tests. How is it determined? Is it by who pays the most? Is it by the it's going to be given out in physicians offices and the places that have been hit hardest or the places that have not been hit so you can find out if it's actually there? So we're going to have multiple ways that we'll be able to do these tests. I do agree that people that have had the virus in the past or believe they had the virus in the past should certainly get their serology tested to see if they have the antibodies. But in addition to that, we'll have so much capacity across the United States, not just LabCorp, with academic medical centers, other national, regional, and local laboratories, that I think a lot more people will be able to get this test, certainly many more than we're able to get the current test that tells if you have the virus. Adam, in terms of being able to identify that you've taken the test and identifying that to others, as you know, in, in other countries, including South Korea and, and China, a lot of people have a phone with a QR code uh, or something else that identifies them as, as either having the antibodies or having, uh, been, ha having taken the test and it being clear or positive or not positive. How do you think about privacy? How do you think about whether we should be doing that because of the contact uh, tracing and everything else? Yeah, so the, the tracing is going to be absolutely critical. 
And I believe that we're going to need to have a way to know who has had the virus in the past and who has had the antibodies. How we share that information is yet to be determined, and I do think we have to be very thoughtful and careful in this country in terms of what we provide to whom due to the privacy laws that we have. But in my opinion, I think that we are going to have to find a way for people to share over time with the employers and or uh, the CDC or states who has had the virus and who has not. Will you, keep, will you have a database of that information for the patients that have used your tests? So for patients that use our tests, they'll be able to go on their patient portal to see the results. But, and are you thinking about connecting that through APIs to any of these services that Apple and Google and others are talking about? We're in discussions, but again, there has to be a lot of work to determine what's appropriate from a privacy perspective. But we are in discussions to determine uh, whether we'll move forward with that or not. Okay. Adam, thank you for joining us. Um, Good luck with this test. It's good news, positive news, uh, and uh, we're happy to have it. So we appreciate it and hope to uh, talk to you again very soon. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Trump administration's voice of economic policy, Larry Kudlow, on companies that may add liability lawsuits to their list of coronavirus troubles. You've got to give the businesses some confidence here that uh, if something happens, and it may not be their fault, Reopening the economy and supporting small businesses right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. A new CNBC States of Play poll out this morning on the coronavirus. 53% of Republicans rate their own state's virus response as too aggressive. Only 3% of Democrats say the same thing. Join us now. Uh, to talk about reopening the economy and helping small businesses. Larry Kudlow, National Economic Council Director. Uh, Larry, it's good to to have you on uh, this morning. We saw the additional uh, PPP funds being okayed, and and you wonder how long those uh, last. And they only last so long until you reopen, Larry. I think that's one of the reasons that that it seems like something that we need to at least attempt in in some small way, if it's possible, to do it safely. Well, I think that's right, Joe. I mean... This thing is a bridge uh, until we reopen the economy, hopefully, maybe I should say prayerfully, in a couple of weeks. Uh, the reopening is so important. I mean, the, the data itself, and, and, and I might add that all the health guidelines uh, and, the, and the roadmaps for governors and mayors are based on the data, but the infection rates have come down significantly. Mortality rates have come down significantly. So we may be coming down the home stretch. Perhaps May will be a transition month into an economic opening across the country. It'll be done in phases, as you know. So here we have the uh, small business loans, the um, uh, payroll purchasing program, uh, to keep us going another uh, $320 billion for that program. The last one went out like hotcakes. Uh, some of the numbers coming from SBA suggest we may have, we may have saved 30 million jobs. If so, that's a wonderful thing. And of course, we put out the unemployment insurance. 
and we've also had the direct checks from the Treasury. So we're just doing our best to keep things afloat and bridge to the point when the economy can begin to recover. Larry, you're always an optimist, very optimistic, um, and I, I am too. So I, to, to set up you know, something that, that might elicit more information from you, I'm going to let Andrew in because, I, I don't know, Andrew, do you, you're, you're very worried about the economy ever being anything close to normal again. And I, I, I know you want to get in and talk to Larry about that, probably. Uh, I want to I want to ask Larry two questions. I think the, the biggest question, given that these loans are hopefully going to get out the door to these small businesses that that need them. And that's where I wanted to go with the ones that need them. You know, you talk to a lot of the bankers who've already processed a lot of loans that haven't gotten into the system. The question is whether you think that enough of that money is going to get to the small businesses that need it the most right now, given that there are larger companies that are already processed through the system that may get to the front of the line this time around. What, what are you doing and what do you, how should the public think about that issue right now? Well, look, it's a good point. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's an important point. I, I, inside this uh, new tranche, uh, there's a pretty significant uh, effort to uh, canvas community banks and uh, community development. And I, I think that, that that may help, Andrew. I, look, I think in the main, frankly, small businesses, and smaller banks were the leaders. Now, I know there's been some controversial cases. Programs like this, gigantic programs like this, uh, put together quickly, are always going to have glitches. But really, in the main, I think the process has worked very, very well. And, look, we will judge this. We'll see how this new tranche works. Uh, we'll see what the demand is. It was overwhelming for the first tranche. I expect it to be very significant for the second tranche. Uh, we'll see. We're always making adjustments right. uh, wherever necessary. We're always trying to be as you know totally as fair as possible in allocating this. Uh, but I think on the whole, it's worked pretty darn well. I mean, right. for the first uh, bunch of days, probably ten or twelve days, answers the big the biggest lenders were the small community banks, and you got to believe they're going into small local businesses. Right. So I, I think it worked pretty darn well. Larry. Larry, one other question about reopening. Obviously, you have some governors that are that are moving very aggressively to reopen and others that are are, are taking their time, all uh, hopefully being um, being counseled by health experts. Uh, William Barr made a comment in the past 48 hours that the Justice Department might uh, join lawsuits against states that don't reopen fast enough. Do you think that's appropriate? Well, look, the attorney general is a brilliant guy. And yes, I, I think it's appropriate for the Justice Department to monitor this. He, I think he's looking at it at, at, in, in terms of uh, individual rights. Uh, and I think it's something that needs to be assessed uh, as we move forward. Bear in mind, again, we put out these health guidelines, I guess, about a week ago. And as I said, they're data driven. You've got to have a, a downward adjustment period within 14 days, and you must observe you must observe the health and safety features that are so vital. I mean, health, security, and well-being comes first. The president Trump has said that many times and continues to say it. So there has to be. Well, Larry, the president the president's also made comments even in the past. Larry, the president's made comments in the past 48 hours, 72 hours, effectively almost against. Government. He's he's sending out these tweets saying liberate certain states. He's 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 
He's supporting protesters that are protesting against the government, against the steps that, that the administration has even made public. Well, it's I very think hard to, I think to that, understand that. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that hard, Andrew. I think that <clears throat> the president's point is that certain states are ready to move. They meet the guidelines of testing and they meet the guidelines of hospitalization capacity. Uh, they meet the guidelines of social distancing. And they have numbers that show flat and declining infection rates. So some states will go faster than others. This whole thing is going to be phased in over a period of time. I think that in the month of May, that will be the transition. Some states may move earlier than May. Good for them if they're ready. Uh, some states will take a little longer. You've got hot spots uh, in New York and, and, and elsewhere, Chicago, that may take a little longer. But I, I think that uh, if, if there is popular support inside states, if it meets the health and safety criteria, then they will be ready to go. Hey, Larry, I heard the president speaking the other night and saying that the administration is considering making businesses not liable if their customers or employees uh, get sick once people come back to business, once work gets started again. If that's the case, how do you ensure that businesses won't skimp on things like trying to make sure that the health and safety uh, situations are, are front and center and, and that those are the most important issues? What was the, uh, Becky, I'm sorry, I missed part of that. What was liable you mentioned? Well, there is, there are discussions, the president said, about potentially saying that businesses wouldn't be liable, they wouldn't be held liable if their customers or employees get sick when they come back. If that's the case, how do you make sure that the safety standards are still being met and, and, and being held so stringently? Well, look, there's a couple of things there. Um, first of all, safety standards have to be met. And there will be constant monitoring state by state. I think the states do a very good job. They have a lot of confidence in the states and the cities, for that matter. And I've been on the conference calls with the governors and the mayors and so forth. So I have a lot of confidence in that. So that's so point number one. Point number two is uh, a point that is very important here regarding safeguarding, uh, guardrailing, liability insurance lawsuits, which I am quite concerned about. Uh, there was good editorial in the Wall Street Journal today about this subject. Uh, businesses, particularly small businesses that don't have massive resources, uh, should not be held liable, uh, should not be held uh, to trial lawyers uh, putting on false lawsuits that will probably be thrown out of court. You've got to give the businesses some confidence here that uh, if something happens, and it may not be their fault, I mean, the, the disease is an infectious disease. Uh, if something happens, uh, you can't take them out of business. You can't throw big lawsuits at them. And I think uh, liability reforms and safeguards are going to be a very important part of this. Some of this we can do probably on a regulatory basis. Uh, part of it may require some additional legislation. Yeah, hey, but that's a, that's, a, that's a very important point here. Yeah. Somebody's got to defend the businesses. Larry, I'm sorry to, to interrupt. Oil suddenly jumped. The market's now up over 400. I want you to comment on oil. And I don't know whether this is a delayed uh, reaction. The, the, the president tweeted something about Iran. Uh, but uh, suddenly oil is up uh, 15 percent 
um, and the market seems to be responding. I guess they go in, in sync now. What do you make of oil, Larry? And in, in all your, I mean, you're you're a, an economics guy. But what what happened there? Uh, demand collapsed, Joe. The coronavirus worldwide caused a collapse in demand. Uh, through no fault of anybody's, uh, this virus has um, pushed us into a big economic contraction. I think in the United States. Uh, uh, rig count is way down, uh, demand is way down, production is falling. Uh, there's not much we can do about that. The president has asked us to look at some potential forms of assistance. We have a number of options. Uh, nothing's been decided yet. But it's just part and parcel. There's a lot of deflation out there as we go through this contraction. Uh, my own view is we will come out of this soon. Uh, the economy will reopen. The economy will restart. Uh, we will propose regulatory and tax and investment policies to help out as best we can. We want to reward work. We want to reward businesses. We want to reward effort. So I'm hoping that this oil slump will prove to be temporary. I mean, no, not many people are driving right now, as you well know, and there's a glut of oil. Yep. That will, I hope, take care of itself. Markets will right. take care of themselves over time. All right. When we saw the, uh, the Trump tweet about Iran, I'm like, wow, in normal times, this would have mattered. And it didn't happen right away. But uh, I don't know whether that you, you attribute it to that. But Larry, thank you uh, for, for being with us uh, this morning. And um, we'll be we'll be paying attention to everything. I watch the task force uh, at night just to, to keep up with what's going on. Look forward to when you're there. Uh, maybe it'll be tonight. Stay well. Uh, maybe it'll be tonight. You, you stay well, too. Uh, thank you. Squawk Pod will be right back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. It's definitely official uh, at this point. People are, are sitting around eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, or, or ordering from Chipotle mobile. Uh, and watching Netflix. I mean, it's just uh, Netflix got 16 million new subscribers. Now, the, the, the shares did move around quite a bit, but 16 million was like double what people were expecting. Um, people around the globe are at home because of the pandemic and, and there's no sports. So it's not like you're watching something else. So I don't know. Are you, you're driven to watching crap like this. So, uh, I mean, if you want to watch Tiger King, I, I mean, I, mean I've, like watched, I've watched an episode <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I'm, I was just I didn't know people had cats like that uh, as pets. It Remind, is the greatest engrossing piece of trash you've ever watched. OK. All right. Uh, 
But you called it a piece of trash. You were not. It's bizarre. It's engrossing trash is what it is. Okay. All right. So is this a positive compliment? But what? We could be watching documentaries. I watched all of it. We could be watching, you know, universe series or or cosmos or something, couldn't we? I mean, we could be doing. I've been trying to get my children to do that unsuccessfully. Becky. uh, You know what? PBS. PBS has put out Ken Burns. uh, uh, Lots and lots of his documentaries for free as part of their teaching thing. Civil uh, Civil War, I, I know that jazz is in it. I know that baseball, America's Greatest, America's Greatest Treasure of the National Parks is in it. There's, there's a lot of them. They've released at least 10 or maybe 15 of his different documentaries. So if you're interested in it, you can see that for free on PBS. There's a new season of Fauda, okay? Uh, although I, I like yep. it. Now I find myself, Just I don't let it go too far. I don't let it myself binge too far because I'm like, oh, no. i got four left. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then, anyway... But uh, I'll tell you, by the way, Joe, yeah, Joe, the thing that talking about hoarding and this is going to be a big issue. And and they talked about it uh, yesterday. This is part of the Netflix story. All of the studios, as we talked about, have shut down production. So while there's some new shows coming online now, call me in six months from now or four months from now. And you're going to have that's when it's going to become more complicated for all of these uh, all of these streaming services because there's not going to be a lot of new shows that they can keep launching. Netflix is probably in the best position because they actually order entire series in advance and they have to be completed. So there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline. Yeah. But for the others, it's going to get really quite difficult. There, there was, there's no betting. I went on DraftKings yesterday and, and I looked at, I mean, I admit that I looked at Russian table tennis and I'm thinking, I don't know. I can't say these guys' names. I don't, uh, I have no idea. Who's good and who and who's not? Okay. You might miracle, huh? You Couldn't might be able to do either. that. Sorkin, miracle. You're, you're Remember pretty, what? Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, I was going to say more about Netflix. The thing I've been excited about too is because there's not going to be new content coming out. Have you seen the commercials that we've run for Peacock? It's like all this stuff, this old stuff that you forgot is out there that I can't wait to get back in and binge on. So right. you know, there's lots of old content that I either haven't seen in forever or maybe that I missed last time around. I want to go back and watch Breaking Bad again. There's a ton of content I'd like to see. Right. And all of these services are, are going to be able to bring that to you. I saw a Seinfeld, uh, a clip of, of 10 different things from Seinfeld mm-hmm. where people were, the guy walks out of the, the stall in the bathroom uh, and doesn't wash his hands and Jerry's there. And then he goes in and he's kneading oh. the pizza dough, <laughs> kneading the pizza dough that, uh, that Jerry. <laughs> and then George double dips oh. with the chip. He dips once and eats it and then dips it back yeah. in and the guy catches yep. him. And, I mean, these are things, none of Not these things. Not in the COVID era. Huh? It's gone. Yep. Done. Finish. I see what you can't do it in the COVID era. No, you can't. And that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. For further Netflix recs, tune into Squawk Box weekday mornings on CNBC, hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And subscribe to this podcast, Squawk Pod, wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.